Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson's Night. Happy Monday. As we've often noted on this show, because it's hard not to notice, we are living in one of those moments where so much is happening all at once and information about it all is so tightly controlled that huge history-changing events can occur and in fact are occurring right now and nobody seems aware of them. It's pretty unsettling, actually. Here's one example. Europe is descending into poverty. Did you know that? Had someone told you that? So the most advanced continent on the planet, the birthplace of Western civilization, our civilization, is getting much poorer very quickly. It's moving backward at high speed. Just a year ago, Europe was a modern place. For example, the overwhelming majority of Europeans heated their homes with natural gas, as modern people do. In Germany, the continent's richest country, only about 6% of households, most of them rural, heated with cordwood. And you'd expect that given that, again, Germany is a modern industrialized country with central heating and indoor plumbing and all the other trappings of a society that has moved beyond the medieval period. Last year, only about 6% of Germans used wood to heat their homes, but that has changed dramatically. Demand for firewood in Germany has risen so fast that there is none left to buy. You can't get it. So desperate Germans are now cutting their own wood, scouring the forests like their ancestors for sources of heat. Watch. Some in Germany are taking matters into their own hands, with solutions that might look like a blast from the past. About two hours outside Berlin, residents of this small town have turned to wood chips for fuel. We have to be innovative, said the project's organizer. If we don't act and just rely on the government to solve the crisis, we'll never succeed. This burner will soon fuel most of this village of 60 people. So they call it biomass, but it's wood. They're burning wood, again, as they did during the feudal period. That's Germany. In Poland, families are standing in line for days to buy coal. Not in 1910, right now, tonight. Cars queued up outside coal mines, hoping for fuel. Quote, this is beyond imagination, one 57-year-old Polish man told Reuters. People are sleeping in their cars. I remember the communist times, but it didn't cross my mind that we could return to something even worse. Oh, but it's come. Something even worse has arrived. The French government has announced energy rationing this winter. Just the other day, France had so much energy that it exported it to other countries. It was a net exporter of energy. Now, there won't be enough heat in France for everyone in the country to stay warm. In the UK, 70% of restaurants are preparing to close, to go under. Why? Because when winter comes, they won't be able to afford to keep the heat and lights on, etc., etc. This is happening across Europe in every country. So the question is, why is it happening? And the answer is extremely simple. There is an energy shortage in Europe. Cheap energy is essential. It is the key to everything that a normal society strives for. Prosperity, safety, a longer life expectancy for its citizens, everything depends on cheap energy, but Europe no longer has it. And as a result, things are falling apart very quickly. Energy costs in Europe are expected to increase by hundreds of percent in coming months. Germany's year-ahead price of electricity, that's the benchmark for all of Europe, it's measured in euros per megawatt hour, that price just exceeded 1,000 euros for the first time in history. For perspective, just a week ago, last Monday, the cost was about 700 euros per megawatt hour, and that was a record. In other words, the price rise is approaching 50% in a single week. In France, electricity went up 25% in one day. That was last Friday. Imagine that happening to you. Here's what Europe looks like tonight. In Europe, it's lights out at major monuments and tourist attractions as a long, hot summer gives way to what officials worry could be a bitterly cold winter. Skyrocketing energy prices have put Europe on a war footing with Russia as the enemy. We are in what can be described as a hybrid war, said French President Emmanuel Macron. Russia uses energy resources, like it does food, as a war weapon to exert pressure. Oil prices have doubled, coal prices have quadrupled, and natural gas is now seven times more expensive than early last year. Seven times more expensive. So it turns out if you don't have cheap natural gas, you can't run the continent. Now, if you've got a graduate degree and live in a city in the United States, you may be shocked to learn this. You may never have heard this before. You may have believed that fossil fuels were on their way out any day now. And you thought that because the Davos people and our own leaders assured us of that for decades. They told us that green energy was the future and the future is here. It's here. 
As recently as last month, the World Economic Forum claimed that Europe could save, quote, one trillion in fossil fuel costs by switching to renewables. But it turns out, and this may not shock you, they had no clue what they were talking about. They knew nothing about the subject, the subject they talked about endlessly. Green energy cannot replace fossil fuels. Not now, not anytime soon. Fossil fuels remain what they have always been, the key to civilization. That is true now. That has been true since Homo erectus started the first cooking fire in a cave nearly a million years ago. So-called green energy is not close, is nowhere near replacing gas and oil and coal. It's measurable. We could have known this. Anyone with eighth grade math skills could have figured out in about 10 minutes that we cannot replace fossil fuels with renewables or green energy. And of course, they must have known that. When they told you otherwise, it was just posturing. It was childish and destructive fantasy talk that apparently fooled millions of their citizens and millions of ours. The Green New Deal means what it always meant. It means poverty. And the people pushing the Green New Deal must have known that all along. They don't actually believe climate change is an imminent threat. If they actually believe climate change was an imminent threat, an existential emergency, the first thing they would have done, the very first would be to ban private jets. Oh, but no, to this day, Al Gore still flies on private jets. Barack Obama owns tens of millions of dollars of beachfront property. He knows the oceans aren't rising. Come on. So they're all in on it. It's a scam, but they don't care because they know they personally will escape the consequences of their own policies. So when the French president announces that his people are facing the end of abundance, he's not talking about himself. He's not facing the end of abundance. None of them are. Macron and all of them understand they will always be rich and always be protected. They know that for certain. What's changed, what's so very interesting, is that suddenly everyone else who's been paying attention can see that they were lying. They are frauds, and the entire population of Europe now knows that. Donald Trump, to his credit, whatever you think of him, caught on to this early. Four years ago, Trump warned Europe about its energy future during his speech at the United Nations. The German delegation laughed at him. Remember this? Germany will become totally dependent on Russian energy if it does not immediately change course. Here in the Western Hemisphere, we are committed to maintaining our independence from the encroachment of expansionist foreign powers. It has been the formal policy of our country since President Monroe. Oh, they're laughing. We have green parties here in Europe. You have no idea what you're talking about. But they're not laughing anymore. The Europeans have discovered that the real threat to human civilization is not global warming. It never was global warming. The real threat to people is global cooling, otherwise known as winter. Far more people freeze to death every year than die of heat. In 2019, for example, four times as many people died of cold as of heat. That's according to the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation. So when temperatures in Europe begin to drop a few months from now, this is a huge problem, and that will be obvious to everyone. It's not global warming, it's global cooling. That's what's going to kill your grandmother. And when everyone understands that perfectly well, a lot of things are going to happen. The status quo will crumble. Factories will close. Unemployment will rise. Disposable income will disappear. And you're seeing signs of that already. Personal savings rates are down dramatically. In this country, 60% of Americans can't cover an expected $400 expense. Credit card debt increasing year over year by 13%. That's the biggest jump in 20 years. Total household debt set an all-time record of $15.8 trillion. That's in this country. It's also true, similarly, in Europe. So how will spiraling energy costs affect all of this? And what will be the cascading effect? Well, when the cost of keeping your apartment warm jumps by hundreds of percent in a single year, you become a completely different person. You change your behavior radically. You're no longer tempted to buy a new $1,400 iPhone or shop at Whole Foods, or even pick up an extra cappuccino. The entire consumer economy grinds to a halt because there's no discretionary income. So it is impossible to overstate the downstream effects on the world of an energy crisis. Everything changes. 
How are the central banks responding to this? Not well. They seem to be making things worse on purpose. You know, in the United States, we're told not to notice what the Fed does because the Fed is now diverse and therefore great. Amazing piece in the AP just the other day announcing that, quote, leadership of the Federal Reserve has become its most diverse ever. There are more female, black, and gay officials contributing to the central bank's interest rate decisions than at any time in its 109-year history. Okay. In other words, relax. We've got affirmative action. Everything's fine. Great. But somehow it doesn't seem to be working. The same central banks that intentionally caused inflation, and they did, those same central banks are now hiking rates to destroy demand. The problem is, this isn't a demand problem. This is a supply problem. And it stems primarily from the war in Ukraine. Because of that war, the West does not have enough energy to continue its economy or its society. Europe responded to that war by imposing sanctions that they knew would inevitably cause energy shortages. They knew it when they did it. Here's the president of the European Commission back in May. And let's be clear, it will not be easy because some member states are strongly dependent on Russian oil, but we simply have to do it. So today we will propose to ban all Russian oil from Europe. Really? Are you going to be keeping your apartment at 49 degrees Fahrenheit? Will you be walking to work? No, of course not. You'll have whatever you want forever. But the rest of us, she informed us, quote, simply have to do it. And it's not just energy that's being affected by these sanctions. In Brussels, Joe Biden warned that food shortages are inevitable. Remember this? With regard to food shortage, yes, we did talk about food shortages. And, uh, and it's going to be real. The, the price of these sanctions is not just imposed upon Russia. It's imposed upon an awful lot of countries as well, including European countries and our country as well. Oh, so we're all going to have to buckle down for freedom. We have to shovel billions to Ukrainian oligarchs who clearly hate the United States because it's the right thing to do. We need to hurt Russia because it's our moral duty. So did these sanctions actually hurt Russia? They caused food and energy shortages throughout the West. No, they didn't hurt Russia. Russia today has more than enough energy, more energy that it can use or sell. In fact, Russia has so much excess natural gas that it's simply setting it on fire. That's right, flaring it, as they say. A Russian plant near the border with Finland is burning $10 million worth of natural gas every day. This seems like a big story. So how's the media covering this? Well, here's the BBC. Quote, scientists are concerned about the large volumes of carbon dioxide and soot it is creating, which could exacerbate the melting of Arctic ice. Really? That's your concern? More global warming? When the immediate effect is to make it impossible for people to Europe to stay warm. You can reach a place in your society where the people in charge and their lapdogs in the media become so completely disconnected from the concerns of actual people, become so totally uninterested in the lives of citizens, that the society becomes very volatile and we are fast approaching that point. So we could fix this problem. The solution to this catastrophe is very straightforward. End the war in Ukraine. Reestablish energy flows into Europe and save the global economy, including ours. Is Joe Biden doing that? Are other reckless Western leaders like Boris Johnson doing that? No, they're doing the opposite. They're sending billions more from their dying economies to Ukrainian oligarchs, and for no good reason. The UK has committed $2.8 billion to Ukraine in a country where 70% of pubs may close because they can't afford electricity. This is a government that's preparing for power outages in the middle of winter. As The Guardian reported, under the government's last reasonable worst-case scenario, officials believe the UK could experience blackouts for several, days, for several days in January if cold weather combines with gas shortages to leave the country short of power. Well, of course cold weather will combine with gas shortages because... That's when people use gas, when the weather is cold. Wake up, geniuses. And it's not just happening in the UK. Again, it's happening everywhere. Spain has just approved more than 50 million euros for Ukraine, and that's not including funding for military hardware. In other news, Spain's Congress just implemented temperature controls on commercial buildings. Air conditioning must be no cooler than 27 degrees Celsius. That's 80 Fahrenheit, by the way, 
in case you don't live there in August. After 10 p.m., shop windows in unoccupied public buildings won't be lit. How about Italy? Well, Italy has allocated more than 600 million euros for Ukrainian refugees. And yet at the same time, air conditioning in Italian schools and public buildings has already been restricted in what the government labeled Operation Thermostat. That began in May. Italy's Ukraine funding is a lot, but it's not quite as much as France. France has sent more than $2 billion U.S. to Ukraine. And at the same time, France is fining shopkeepers for keeping their doors open and running their air conditioning so we can send more weapons to one of the most corrupt governments in the world. In France, illuminated signs are banned from 1 a.m. to 6 a.m. For our part, the United States has sent more than $10 billion in military aid. That's 19 packages of weapons to what Mitch McConnell tells us is the most important thing in the world. Congress has approved more than $30 billion in additional spending. So how is all that spending working out? Are we winning the war in Ukraine? Have we bankrupted Vladimir Putin like Joe Biden claimed we would? The ruble just hit a seven-year high against the U.S. dollar in June. Take a look at this chart comparing the Russian ruble against the euro. Russia's doing well. Europe is not doing well at all. Now Joe Biden is calling for an unconditional surrender from Vladimir Putin. Here's the weird thing. By any actual reality-based measure, Vladimir Putin is not losing the war in Ukraine. He is winning the war in Ukraine. And Joe Biden looks at that and says, we won't stop until you proffer an unconditional surrender. This isn't bad policy. This is nuts. It makes no sense. In fact, it only makes sense if the goal is to completely destroy the West in order to make way for Chinese global dominance. What would be the other explanation for this behavior? Subscribe to the Fox News YouTube channel to catch our nightly opens, stories that are changing the world and changing your life. From Tucker Carlson tonight. Oh, good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. On April 24th of last year, and you may have missed this, the state of California finally achieved what the green movement has dreamt about for decades. It happened. The state energy authority in California was able to generate 95% of its total power from entirely renewable sources. They said it couldn't be done. We said it couldn't be done. But just months into the Joe Biden administration, California did it. Quote, it sends chills down my spine, announced Elliot Mainzer, who runs California's biggest power grid. It's amazing. We're making a real dent in the state's carbon emissions. April 24th, 2021, ladies and gentlemen, remember that date. It's a moment that will live alongside Thomas Edison's invention of the incandescent light bulb, alongside Neil Armstrong's stroll on the surface of the moon. It is a day we saw a glimpse of humanity's future. That's what the news accounts told us. But actually, there were some caveats to this achievement. For starters, April is not the time to test a power grid. It's the most temperate month of the year, when electricity use is at its lowest. Nor was the grid in question statewide. It didn't, for example, supply power to Los Angeles, which is by far the biggest city in California. And now that we're being honest, it wasn't entirely renewable. As the L.A. Times conceded in a far lower paragraph, despite its press release about renewables, the state of California was actually, quote, also burning a bunch of natural gas. Now, according to scientists, natural gas qualifies as a fossil fuel and it's not technically renewable. And then there was this amazing but thoroughly downplayed fact. The green energy miracle that sent chills down the spines of California power executives, the event they described as, quote, amazing, lasted for a total of, can you guess, four seconds. Not days or hours, seconds. Four seconds. That's what California politicians were bragging about. Four seconds of not actually renewable energy. But the celebration obscured an inconvenient fact. Just a few months earlier, in mid-August, California's green energy grid had collapsed completely. Half a million residents lost power in the middle of a heat wave. Grid operators warned it was about to get a lot worse. From late afternoon until evening, they predicted. At the times, people returned to their homes and were hoping to use electricity, as some Americans do. The state would be short thousands of megawatts, and that meant that millions of Californians would be without any power whatsoever. And that would be a catastrophe, an undeniable one. So to fight it, the state implemented a strategy the developing world has come to know well, rolling blackouts. 
It's almost 3 p.m., the mayor of Los Angeles tweeted on September 6, 2020. Time to turn off major appliances, set the thermostat to 78 degrees, or use a fan instead. Turn off excess lights and unplug any appliances you're not using. We need every Californian to help conserve energy, except, of course, for the mayor of Los Angeles, who gets to be on Twitter whenever he wants. But really, the message was clear. We give up. We're no longer pretending to provide a first world standard of living to our citizens, the most heavily taxed in America. We are Tegucigalpa now. Please play along. And for the most part, patient Californians did play along, but the problem did not improve. In fact, it got worse. The California Energy Commission has just issued a report predicting widespread power outages in the state of California for the next five years at least. And of course, September will always be the worst month. As the vice chair of the commission put it, quote, securing energy reliability is a tremendous responsibility. The responsibility is becoming increasingly difficult to fulfill with the tools we have in hand. Oh, stop whining. Keep the power on. But no, we don't have enough tools. What happened to all the tools? Well, those tools would include the famous nuclear plant at San Onofre. But that plant was shuttered a decade ago after 40 years of protest by green activists supposedly on behalf of something called the environment, something with which they are personally unfamiliar. But it didn't matter. The state shut it down. What happened next? What was the effect of shutting down San Onofre? Well, scientists estimate that closing San Onofre led to the release of 37 million metric tons of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Now, if you believe that carbon dioxide is a pollutant, and they all do, that would qualify as a very bad thing. But it didn't stop California from plowing forward anyway and doing more of the same polluting in the name of saving the environment. Now the state has announced a plan to close the San Luis Obispo Diablo Canyon nuclear plant. That plant supplies energy to millions of other Californians. So as a result of these and many other closures of actual power plants, the state of California now imports a third of its energy from elsewhere. And that would seem to be an embarrassing display from what is supposedly, supposedly our richest state. So say what you will about California politicians, like them or not, it's indisputable that on the question of energy, they have no idea what they're doing. And we know this because their track record of incompetence is lengthy and unbroken. They are majestic in their ineptitude. So naturally, they want more power over power. There's just so much more to destroy. This week, the state's surgically enhanced governor, Gavin Newsom, announced a new way to overburden California's already collapsing energy grid. He's got an idea. He wants to ban gasoline-powered engines and force everyone to drive an electric vehicle, a vehicle that has to be plugged into outlets that in the state of California no longer work. We're not kidding, by the way. Watch this. We will be the first jurisdiction in the world to require all new cars to be sold to be alternative fuel cars. We are going through one of the great transformations in our history, energy transformations. And the electrification is the architecture for economic transformation. <laughs> so here's a guy who has never had a job, who couldn't fix a broken lawnmower, lecturing you about energy and architecture and transformation. The same guy who's presided over a state that can no longer power your washing machine is telling you he's going to control what kind of car you drive. Now, just think broad for one second. If that guy can tell you what kind of car you're allowed to drive, what can't he tell you? Why can't he tell you what kind of job you can have? What kind of food you can eat? Who you can sleep with? So, of course, the instinct behind all of this is totalitarian, which is to say total control over you. And banning the gas engine is, among many other things, an attack on your autonomy. Electric vehicles can be, above all, controlled by the people who control the grid. And that means the next time that California's energy regulator decides to shut off the power, you can't go anywhere. You can't leave California. Now, a few things you might notice about this. First, they're doing this because they're so concerned about carbon emissions. And burning fossil fuels adds to carbon emissions and is destroying the planet. If you actually were worried about that, what's the first thing that you would ban? Well, private jet travel, obviously. Private jet travel emits a lot of carbon. In just 60 minutes, a private jet emits more carbon dioxide, in fact, than the average American household emits 
in three months in one flight. So private jet travel is responsible for more greenhouse gases than, hmm, the nation of Denmark. Commercial planes pollute at a rate about 15 times higher than commercial planes. So you would think, since most people who fly private are affluent by definition, and the global warming cult is the most popular with the affluent, that these same people would have given up private jet travel because it's just such an obvious offense against the climate. But no, just the opposite. Private jet travel has become more popular since the pandemic. Business jet travel is up more than 22% since 2019. More than 70% of all private jet flights take place in the United States. What are they doing? Well, they're ferrying politicians like Gavin Newsom, comma, who does not fly commercial? And of course, celebrities like Taylor Swift. Famously, her jet emitted 8,300 tons of carbon this year so far. Ooh, interesting. So if you're looking to reduce carbon emissions, you would think they'd worry a little less about your minivan and a little more about their G4. Hope oh, that they're not worried at all about their G4. And that's why Taylor Swift and Gavin Newsom and Nancy Pelosi and all the other people out there lecturing about climate will never give up their private planes. Because when you fly private, you're not only immune from COVID law, you don't have to wear a mask on a private plane. Were you kidding? You poor or something? Shut up. But you're also immune from the immutable laws of climate change. So California has no interest in preventing people who are making the rules like Gavin Newsom from traveling any way they want. They want to control the way that you travel. Now, that's California. So you are tempted to say, well, OK, California is beautiful, but it's obviously run by lunatics who are turning it into a third world country. So maybe this is just part of their slate of ideas to wreck the prettiest place on the planet. But no, it's not just California. It's not just happening there. It's also happening in more reasonable places like Virginia. Law in Virginia currently requires gasoline engines, gasoline cars to be phased out by 2035, which is pretty soon. States of Massachusetts and Washington have similar laws. So does New York. So does Oregon. In all, 15 states have supported California's plan to force zero emission vehicles, none of which are actually zero emission. They're just electric and can therefore be controlled by the energy grid and the regulators who oversee it. And it's not just 15 states. It's the federal government. According to the Biden administration, everybody will be required to drive an electric car by 2035. We obviously are all in on making sure that we meet the president's goals of getting to 100 percent clean electricity by 2035 and uh, net zero carbon emissions by 2050. And, um, you know, if you drive an electric car, this would not be affecting you, clearly. There's no reason why you have to pay four or five dollars a gallon for gasoline when you can have an all-electric vehicle. After waiting for a long time uh, to have enough chips in this country to finally get my electric vehicle, I got it uh, and drove it from Michigan to here uh, this last weekend and went by every single gas station. It didn't matter how high it was. The more pain we are all experiencing from the high price of gas, the more benefit there is for those who can access electric vehicles. <laughs> Another cascade of unemployable morons, every one of whom has a long track record of failure, not one of whom has ever done anything in the real world, all of whom giving you a moral lecture about how your car is destroying the planet when they're flying private. How long is the country going to put up with this? There's no reason to pay 4 or $5 for gas or even an electric vehicle, says Ed Markey, who's lived at public expense his entire life. And has no idea what anything costs. A typical electric vehicle costs more than 60 grand. But that's only part of the cost. Charging an electric vehicle in countries that have a lot of electric vehicles, a lot of them is now more expensive than filling your tank with gasoline. As Swedish journalist Peter Emanuelsson put it, quote, electricity prices in Norway are set to reach about $1 per kilowatt hour. At these prices, it would cost $100 to fully charge one Tesla. And yet all over the world, countries, politicians who may or may not have deals with the electric car companies are forcing people to buy products they don't want. And force is the word. This is not a transformation that is taking place voluntarily, as it would in a democracy where people get to govern themselves and choose the way they live. No. This is being imposed by a small number of people on top. Again, the, ever, the revolution aimed downward, as always. A bank in Australia has announced it will be ending loans for gas vehicles. You just can't buy one. You can't finance it. 
The EU Parliament has just voted to support a ban on the sale of new gasoline and diesel cars beginning in 2035 in all of Europe. Now, Europe, as we told you last night, is a place where they're turning off traffic lights because they don't have enough energy to keep them on. So how is this going to work? Well, the fact it's happening at all is amazing. Take three steps back. Banning gasoline engines, which we have had for more than 100 years, which have completely defined modern society, and that if you're a normal person in this country and don't use the subway from the Upper West Side to Midtown every day, but actually drive like the overwhelming majority of Americans, this is the biggest change in your lifetime. Have you been consulted on it? Has there been a debate about it? No. All you hear is you must do this because it's good for the environment. But that's a lie. It's measurably a lie. Electronic vehicles are terrible for the environment. Roger McGrath took the time to spell it out recently in Chronicles magazine. As he noted, supplying the materials necessary for the battery of an electric car alone, just the battery, requires, and we're quoting, processing using fossil fuels, of course, of at least 50 tons of ores. Ooh, it takes a lot of energy to process ore. A single battery for an electric car needs at least, quote, 30 pounds of lithium, 60 pounds of cobalt, 130 pounds of nickel, 90 pounds of copper, 190 pounds of graphite, and roughly 500 pounds of steel, aluminum, magnesium, plastic, and other materials, end quote all of which are derived from mining. Oh, where's that mining gonna take place? Well, in third world countries with no environmental regulations whatsoever. How is this good for the environment? Speak slowly so we can understand. And yet in California, under Gavin Newsom's new order, every vehicle would require those materials. Here's the problem. We don't have that much lithium or cobalt in the United States. So where are those elements going to come from which are required for electric vehicles? Well, lithium mines in China. Did you know the answer to that already? Probably did. And the Congo. Let's go exploit Africa so we can feel virtuous. As the New York Times reported last year, and we're quoting, production of raw materials like lithium, cobalt, and nickel that are essential to electronic vehicle technologies are often ruinous to land, water, wildlife, and people. End quote. And by the way, land, water, wildlife, and people are exactly the four things that the environmental lobby has no interest in at all in. They don't care about the land, they don't care about the water, they don't care about the wildlife, and they don't care about the people. It's not about that at all. It's a religion. It's about making them feel like good people and increasing their control over you, period. And by the way, none of this even addresses the national security implications of, of this. Just as with solar panels and wind turbines, the materials required for electric vehicle batteries come from, and you know the answer, China. China processes 40% of the world's raw lithium. China's market share for lithium-ion batteries is about 80%. That's according to Bloomberg. And even if we somehow avoid that problem by mining lithium volcanoes in, say, Nevada, and polluting the environment there, then what? Well, then you have hundreds of millions of Americans dependent upon cars that the government can turn off in a second that are, by the way, running software that tracks your every movement. Now, in a high-trust society where everyone thinks the government's on their side, a society that hasn't just hired 87,000 armed IRS agents to crush small business and anyone who doesn't vote for them, in a society like that, like maybe Sweden 30 years ago, that'd be totally fine because we trust that they're on our side. But in a country in which the President of the United States is giving a speech two days from now declaring half the population a criminal element, probably not a good idea to turn your vehicle over to those people. This is the vehicular equivalent of digital currency. Electronic vehicles are a disaster for the energy grid, a disaster for the environment, and a disaster for your personal autonomy. If this happens, it will represent the single biggest change in the way you and your family live in generations. And yet, no one's even talking about it. Glenn Youngkin, to his credit, is talking about it. He's the governor of Virginia. Subscribe to the Fox News YouTube channel to catch our nightly opens, stories that are changing the world and changing your life. From Tucker Carlson tonight. And then these models, because people have gone after me because I don't buy the climate models. Well, I think about the climate models as extended into the economic models because the climate model is well, there's going to be a certain degree of heating, let's say by 2100. It's like, okay, some of that might be human generated. Some of it's a consequence of warming after the ice age. This has happened before, but fair enough. Let's take your presumption. Although there are multiple presumptions 
and any error in your model multiplies as time extends. But to have it your way, okay, now we're going to extend the climate model, so to speak, into the economic model. So I just did an analysis of a paper by Deloitte, third biggest company in the U.S., 300,000 employees, major league consultants. They just produced a report in May. I wrote an article for it in The Telegraph, which I'm going to release this week on my YouTube channel. said, well, if we get the climate problem under control economically, because that's where the models are now being generated on the economic front, so now we have to model the environment, that's climate, and we have to model the economy, and then we have to model their joint interaction, and then we have to predict 100 years into the future, and then we have to put a dollar value on that, and then we have to claim that we can do that, which we can't. And then this is our conclusion. We're going to go through a difficult period of privation. Because if we don't accept limits to growth, there's going to be a catastrophe 50 years in the future or thereabouts. And so to avert that catastrophe, we are going to make people poorer now. How much poor? Well, not a lot compared to how much richer they're going to be. But definitely and they say this in their own models, definitely poorer, definitely poorer than they would be if we just left them the hell alone. And so then I think, okay, poorer, eh? Who? Well, let's look at it biologically. You've got a hierarchy, right, of stability and security. That's a hierarchy, or one type. You stress a hierarchy like that, a social hierarchy. So there's birds in a environment and an avian flu comes in and then you look at the birds in the social hierarchy and the the, the low-ranking birds have the worst nests so they're most exposed to wind and rain and sun and farthest from food supplies and most exposed to predators and so those birds are stressed which is what happens to you at the bottom of a hierarchy you're more stressed because your life is more uncertain you're more stressed your immunological function is compromised because of that you're sacrificing the future for the present an avian flu comes in, and the birds die from the bottom up. That happens in every epidemic. You die from the bottom up. Okay, so they say when the aristocracy catches a cold, the working class dies of pneumonia. All right, so now we're going to make people poorer. Okay, who? Well, we know who we make poorer when we make people poorer. We make those who are barely hanging on poorer. And what does that mean? It means they die. And so what the Deloitte consultants are basically saying is, you know, it's kind of unfortunate. But according to our models, a lot of poor people are going to have to die so that a lot more poor people don't die in the future. It's like, okay, hold on a sec. Which of those two things am I supposed to regard with certainty? The hypothetical poor people that you're going to hypothetically save 100 years from now or the actual poor people? that you are actually going to kill in the next 10 years. Well, I'm going to cast my lot with the actual poor people that you're actually going to kill. One of the most important reports in the world has been released by a group of German scientists who call themselves the Working Group for COVID Vaccine Analysis. The members of the group have chosen to remain anonymous at the moment because vaccine credits have been publicly defamed, ostracized, and economically ruined. That's a wise decision considering the contents of this report. This working group has made several preliminary discoveries that will reverberate around the world. According to the report, the blood of vaccinated individuals has been corrupted in terrible ways, including deformed red blood cells, blood clots, elevated blood viscosity, and the presence of novel structures made of strange materials that cannot be explained, they say, as contamination from the manufacturing process, which are shown in the pictures you see here. Now, let me repeat. They say all COVID vaccines that were tested contain substances the purpose of which cannot be determined. One thing the scientists did determine is that it is that these cannot be accidental contaminants since these dangerous substances and toxic metals that were never disclosed by Pfizer or Moderna or AstraZeneca or Johnson & Johnson are found consistently in blood samples. 
There were three other remarkable findings in the report. The second discovery was that the blood samples of all the people who had been vaccinated showed marked market changes. The third discovery was that the greater the stability of the envelope of lipid nanoparticles, the more frequent are vaccine side effects. The fourth discovery, artificial intelligence can distinguish with 100% reliability between the blood of the vaccinated from the blood of the unvaccinated with just a small live sample. As you can see here in these pictures, there are rectangular and square crystal shapes, spirals, etc. These kinds of structures, the scientists say, have never been found in human blood before. In conclusion, the scientists wrote that, quote, in all samples of COVID-19 vaccines without exception, components were found using several methods of measurement that are in the quantities found toxic, according to medical guidelines, had not been declared by the manufacturers as present in the vaccines, are for the most part metallic, are vis visible under the dark filled microscope as distinctive and com complex structures of different sizes, can only partially be explained as a result of crystallization or decomposition processes, cannot be explained as contamination from the manufacturing process. And joining me now to discuss is Dr. Naomi Wolf. She is the author of The Bodies of Others, a great read, and if you haven't gotten it yet, you should. Dr. Naomi Wolf has also been heading up a, a crowdsourced type investigation into the Pfizer documents on its vaccine with a via collaboration between the Daily Clout, her her uh, platform, and War Room. It's good to see you again, Naomi. To Emerald, thank you so much for having me on again. Now, I mean, you and I have talked about the adverse effects, side effects uh, of these vaccines over and over and over again. So the study, though they're choosing to remain anonymous, it is very detailed in nature. The study that says the blood of the, uh, the vaccinated is distinguishable, is, you know, markedly different from unvaccinated blood. Does this surprise you? Yeah, so... We're in a time in which it's difficult to ind independently verify what this group of scientists is saying. But so I'm, I, until, you know, until I can do a more direct check, I can't say I, I agree with this. I believe it for sure. Um, I think you've done a great job explaining what this group of scientists said they found. I have to say other groups of scientists independently are finding unexplainable structures in the in the blood of vaccinated versus unvaccinated people. And they're also finding um, things that shouldn't be there in the actual vials of the injection material itself. So this is a, you know, this is something that's that's raising red flags around the world. Um, and I think it's a, a big important question mark until it can be pinned down further. That said, what they found does align with in, in terms of um, contamination uh, and kind of um, a failure of the chain of custody with something that one of our most distinguished volunteers at the uh, Daily Cloud War Room Volunteer Research Group um, is, is identifying, and that's Dr. Chris Flowers, who's a, a noted um, professor of uh, radiology. And he found that, it, and various Substack writers that he respects have found that, that the chain of custody has been perverted, essentially, for the manufacture of these injections, um, that the normal FDA checks and balances, the normal uh, quality controls just went out the window. And, you know, I, my own reporting found about three or four weeks ago uh, in an essay on my Substack that, um, that the manufacturing and the IP, the tech, right, there was 100% tech transfer to China. Um, identified in an SEC filing for BioNTech, which is making the Pfizer vaccine. So, it, you know, and there are two branches of Fosun Pharmaceuticals, a Chinese company run by the Chinese Communist Party, making the Pfizer vaccine, making Paxlovid, which the president is on or was on, making the Merck COVID uh, pill, um, making 13 other FDA-approved drugs, uh, and that's Fosun Pharma, Boston Mass and Fosun Pharma, Princeton, New Jersey. So talk about a corruption in the chain of custody of these injections. Um, China is manufacturing 
at least the Pfizer brand of these injections, at least in, you know, two major outlets for the manufacture of these injections. So anything could be in those vials. And we've also found confirmed that the labeling, and this is especially creepy for the little kids injections, um, had errors related to how long uh, you could leave the, the vials out. So it, they're only supposed to be out for less than two hours. These labels said you can leave them out for 12 hours. And the, uh, the, the dosage was wrong. So this is very, very scary. So I can't in the blood, but I, the injections, there are multiple, multiple confirmed iterations of messed up custody, messed up process, um, process, you know, owned by our existential adversary, the Chinese Communist Party, um, messed up ingredients and messed up temperature. And you, you spoke about the checks and balances going out the window with these vaccines. Well, it, it seems to be standard operating procedure now. They're not closing the window. In fact, they're now approving a booster that has yet to be tested on humans, despite everything we're seeing and learning about these vaccines. Yeah. Um, you know, Emerald, I throw up my hands. I mean, I've said this to you before. I say it every day, every chance I get. This is a war. This is so obviously an act of war. When will people realize a war is being waged on us? It doesn't make sense medically. Everything's wrong with them. The New York Times wrote a garbled piece today basically acknowledging that the uh, vaccines up until now were for the wrong strain, don't work. Um, the Pfizer documents show that a month into the rollout, Pfizer knew they didn't work medically, but they work as a bioweapon. They work in, again, this is in an essay I wrote called Facing the Beast. There's a study out of China, out of Hong Kong, overseen by China, August 2021, that show that the first injection causes some damage, the second causes catastrophic harm. It, it enlarges the heart, puts visible white spots on the heart, harms the liver, cytokine storms. So, you know, what is a booster, right? They're not even trying to pretend it's been tested on humans. They're not trying to pretend it's safe. The FDA, you know, and I've seen this firsthand in the Pfizer documents, all of which went via the FDA, threw up their hands and aren't doing any of their usual standard checks and testing and preventing dangerous products from going to the market this is this is warfare and and it works to hurt people it works to kill people and that's what we're seeing around the world we're seeing a uh, birth rate drop off Igor Chudov has documented that in data set after data set from governments around the world and even though I've taken some hits for a, an immediately corrected math error in one of the volunteers' analyses of the miscarriage rate in the Pfizer documents. Nonetheless, elsewhere in the Pfizer documents, there's an over 78% miscarriage and spontaneous abortion rate. Um, and, and Pierre Corey, Dr. Corey, confirms this. He gets over 80% looking at the same section of the documents. And a, 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 a an obstetrician named Luke McClendon in Australia has come forward and said he's seeing over 44% miscarriage rate. Um, you know, there's a baby die-off that I've spoken about before in Scotland, heavily vaccinated Scotland, over 200% rise in neonatal deaths. And now one of our volunteers, Dr. Robert Chandler, again, highly distinguished CV, heavily published on many peer review committees himself, treated the Lakers, treated the Angels, treated sports teams. He's done an incredible analysis in the Pfizer documents showing Emerald what the mechanism is, uh, because the lipid nanoparticles gather in the ovaries among other organs and they gather and they gather and it's up like that for the duration of the 48 hours that this experiment lasted but there's no sign of them leaving the body and that means every time if you're a woman you get a, an injection and then every time you get a booster and then you get the new booster or the bivalent one in the fall you're adding those lipid nanoparticles those industrial fats covered with polyethylene glycol, which is a petroleum product in your ovaries, right? And we only have so many eggs. So that's one thing that's deforming and, and harming women's you know, menstrual cycles and women's pregnancies. Um, but the other thing is 
absolutely terrifying. The lipid nanoparticles cross every membrane in the human body. So that includes emerald, the placenta. It includes the placenta. The placenta is compromised. And Dr. Jim Thorpe, who's also an obstetrician, has shown a terrifying sonogram of calcifications like netting throughout the placenta. It, and, and, and nurses anecdotally are saying, you know, we have to induce babies of vaccinated moms early because it's not safe to let them uh, give birth. Naturally, the placentas are so compromised. It, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to me, Naomi, to see when they roll out this vax, this, this next booster, how many people actually take it. Because I know probably you, as I talk to people on almost a daily basis, who did even take three rounds, right? They took the first two and they took the third booster. But now, based on what we're learning, what we're seeing, people still getting it, taking Paxlovid and getting rebound. I hear more and more every day, I took three shots, I took four shots. I'm not taking another one. So we'll see what uh, methods. I'm, I'm afraid now of the methods they'll use to try to get people to encourage them, you know, to take this fourth, this fourth booster or this extra booster. Thank you so much, uh, Naomi. It's always good to see you. And thank you for the work you all continue to do. Thank you. We will not stop. Thank you so much. As we discussed, uh, that German study indicates that artificial intelligence can distinguish between vaccinated and unvaccinated blood samples. We discussed the implications of this potential finding with national security expert and Department of Defense contractor Brandon Weikart after the break. In the German study we just discussed with Dr. Naomi Wolf, the scientists were very clear in pointing out that vaccinated blood is clearly distinguishable from unvaccinated blood with artificial intelligence. The scientists wrote, quote, the vaccines consistently contain substances, the purpose of which cannot be determined. Using a small sample of live blood analysis from both vaccinated and unvaccinated individuals, artificial intelligence can distinguish with 100% reliability between the blood of the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. This indicates that the COVID-19 vaccines can affect long-term changes in the composition of the blood of the person vaccinated without that person being aware of these changes. But does that also mean that vaccinated individuals can now be tracked via artificial intelligence? Here to help us answer that question, or at least give it a good consideration as national security expert and Department of Defense contractor, Brandon Weikert. Welcome back, Brandon. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Good to see you too. Uh, this study is so detailed in the ingredients that are not necessarily listed in the virus, but they say that they have, I mean, excuse me, the vaccine, but say that they have found in every uh, one of the vaccines they tested, whether it was the mRNA, mRNA version or the DNA, you know, like the AstraZeneca and the Johnson & Johnson, uh, these scientists say that the toxic elements of the vaccine are not accidental in their opinion. Brandon, can you answer for me why would all vaccine makers knowingly include these harmful ingredients in their product? Well, I, I couldn't tell you for sure why. Well, I can speculate, um, you know, there is an angle that you have been pointing at for a while, which is this sort of uh, proto-surveillance capability, nanoparticles. Uh, you and I have spoken previously about this. Uh, the U.S. Department of Defense, as well as China, are heavily invested in nanotechnology development. Um, I can't say for sure whether or not that is what they put in this vaccine. I don't know. Um, and my, my only one complaint with this study, it was a very good detailed study. I just get a little concerned about people not putting their names on reports. And I understand they're concerned about being targeted. But that's the only little thing that I had that was an issue with it. Other than that, uh, this this report was very thorough. I, I All I can think of is if there is nanotechnology that's being developed, as I know there is, by both the Pentagon and and by Beijing, um, then what a better way to potentially test uh, in sort of a live trial uh, than under the imprimatur of a vaccine. We know for a fact uh, that our intelligence community has been trying to develop more effective ways at tracking people ever since September 11th with all of the sort of homeland security and the intelligence tracking of our phone calls and the tapping of our of our personal devices, and which we find out is more and more extensive every day. Um, 
you know, th this this could be the next wave. And and you were right in your article to to fear that that we are not fighting China. We might be replicating China. And we know for a fact that the World Economic Forum loves the Chinese model. Uh, and our business leaders, our corporate elite, have been trying to replicate that model here. So it would not surprise me if that is what they're doing. If they're testing some new nanoparticle. You and I have talked about Charles Lieber before, the Pentagon expert in nanotechnology, and how he was doing live tests uh, in China under the table uh, while he was taking money from the Pentagon. So. Perhaps this is some more live testing of nanotechnology, only now it's on all of us. God help us. Yeah, I, and I do suspect, as you pointed out, that the fact that they did not list their names out of concern for, they said, being defamed or uh, attacked, as so many others who have been critical of these vaccines have been, that that will be the uh, go-to criticism for this study as it gets uh, wider attention, which is unfortunate, uh, given given that it does seem to be pretty detailed. This also comes to, comes to another point about the vaccines in that, remember that uh, we had leaked contracts between governments, Specifically, I had one from an Albanian government, right? The Albanian government with Pfizer and the indemnification, the, the total lack of liability for these pharmaceutical companies. And I think that's very important now that we're learning more about the potential not listed ingredients in these vaccines. Yeah, and remember, under Operation Warp Speed, we gave liability protection to the major pharmaceutical companies as well here in the United States. So, uh, you know, we're forcing these vaccines on not just people, but now we're on, on children as well, they're talking about doing. Uh, and yet we don't have the longitudinal studies. How could we? It's only been on the market for a little more than two years. Uh, so we won't know any side effects possibly until well after people have been forced to take this vaccine. And I want to make it clear to your audience, and I think I've told this to you before, I'm not anti-vax or pro-vax. I, I do what I need to do. Uh, but for when it comes to things like an experimental vaccine, I really think we should leave it up to individual choice. And what concerns me is just how secretive uh, these companies are being and how they got under the sort of the aegis of the COVID-19 pandemic. They got the U.S. government and the Albanian government, all these other governments around the world in fear to sign off on things that would protect them from any kind of liability should side effects arise, which we, we can assure ourselves some side effects likely will arise because this is so totally new technology. mRNA has been in development, has been used on some level since the late 1960s, early 70s. The technology goes back that far. But it's never been used this way. It's never been scaled up so quickly and used so significantly and forced upon so many. So you have to start asking why. What is the purpose here? And I think this gets back to some of those secret ingredients. And I think this gets back to uh, what you and I are talking about with indemnification protection. Why would they need that if this was totally above board? And now we have the talk of another booster for the fall without <laughs> actual testing going forward. It looks like they're going to go ahead and approve this and people are going to take it and, and the, the people taking it are once again going to be the sample for testing. Right. Right. Well, you know, the whole thing is also the way they t remember. If you remember in 2020, we were told once we get the vaccine, all life goes back to normal. Well, they never said anything about a booster. They said it was a vaccine. If they had, I think, build it to people that you're going to have to get this every so often, a booster, I think people might be more inclined to take the word of the government and the pharmaceutical companies. But the fact of the matter is things have been so badly misrepresented and lied about. And now you're seeing reports come out and actually the suppression of reports on the ingredients of these vaccines. Again, I'm not anti-vax, but and I think it is pretty amazing the technology yeah. that we're able to roll out. But in this case, there's so many unknowns there and they're forcing so many people of so many ages to take it. And you have the presence of nanotechnology being developed simultaneously. You have these companies that are simultaneously involved with this COVID vaccine rollout. They're also engaged in other risky biotech ventures, both here and in China. We have to be asking ourselves, are we just being used as guinea pigs? Is that what's going on here? Because it's very frightening that there's not enough information. And anytime somebody like yourself starts raising a question, you get canceled immediately. We can't even talk about it. It's verboten.
Yes, well, we are very glad, though, that Brandon Weichart, that you will come on our show and we can have this conversation that seems to be barred in so many other platforms and in, in corporate media because I feel like it's important. And yes, it's up to the individuals to choose, but they should also be able to know there should be transparency to know exactly what is in whatever product they're trying to, they're, they're choosing to put in their body. That's correct. I completely agree with that. Well, thank you, Brandon. It's always good to see you, and, and we appreciate you coming home, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Okay, good. me too.